Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, good morning, First Peter chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, if not, it'll be on the screen. Thank you for joining us today here at Rock Spring, our Rossville campus, Dalton campus, online campus, Ringgold campus we got going on today, wherever you are, thank you for being here. I know tremendous, tremendous worship in all of our venues today. Man, we're just blessed here with worship. It ain't like this everywhere else, just so you know. And so, man, we're blessed here. First Peter chapter 5, I'm two sermons away, today and one more, on uh, this series, Faith Through the Fire, Living for Christ in a hostile culture, as we go through this book of First Peter, I'm going to wrap it up uh, next week, Lord willing. Today, I want to preach on this, how to deal with your anxiety, how to deal with your anxiety. I, I saw this last night. I look on Saturdays for a current news article I can drop in my sermon. I, I didn't put it on the screen or anything. I just wanted to read this to you because it's so appropriate. As a matter of fact, this article dropped yesterday. So I think the Lord kind of laid it out there for me. Here, here's the title of the article. Physicians groups, physician groups beg for help with emergency rooms flooded by children in psychiatric psychiatric crisis. Anxiety, depression, suicide attempts are common causes. Emergency room doctors and pediatricians are pleading for help with the flood of children and teenagers showing up at emergency rooms due to mental health issues. The children showing up in crisis are often suffering from emergencies related to anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts or attempts, according to the group. The article goes on and on and on. You can imagine from there. That's the culture we're in right now, right? It is a high anxiety culture. It is a, listen, high fear culture. Now you make no mistake, the powers that be of this world are on purpose trying to install fear into our culture. Fear is a working part of the devil's plan. If he can get us afraid, if he can get us anxious, if he can get us fearful, here's what he knows. Listen, he can control us. It was so much easier when I was a teenager, right? We were just talking the other day. Y'all remember tornado and nuclear bomb drills back when you were in grammar school? Y'all remember nuclear bomb drills? They still have us get under our desk. I don't think that was going to help. I really don't. I don't. I don't think... I don't think that nuclear bomb is going to be like, well, he's under a desk. Let's just, I mean, he's off. We can't get to that. That's for sure. They're in the hallway. And we grew up with a certain amount of anxiety, worrying about Russia and all that. Nothing compared to this generation. The constant bombardment of information and the constant bombardment of fear, fear being instilled into us and being instilled into our children who are not equipped to deal with it, who are not equipped to handle it. It's causing a mental health crisis in America. Well, the Bible's not silent on the subject. And Peter, as we get closer to the end of time, as we get more and more into persecution, Peter drops three verses I want to deal with today on how to deal with 
anxiety. How bad, how persuasive, how pervasive is the problem in our culture? Let me, let me throw some stats up here. This will take just a minute, but I want to paint a picture. Did you know anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States? Now, this is all anxiety disorders, the umbrella. It affects 40 million adults, almost 20% of the population, 18 and older. Anxiety disorders are highly treatable, yet only 37% of those suffering receive treatment. People with an anxiety disorder are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor, six times more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric disorders than those who don't suffer. Anxiety disorders develop from a complex set of risk factors, including genetics, brain chemistry, personality, life events. General anxiety disorders affect 6.8 million adults. Women are twice as likely to be affected. Panic disorder uh, affects 6 million adults. Women are twice as likely to be affected. Social anxiety disorder affects 15 million adults. Specific phobias affect 19.3 million adults. Again, women twice as likely to be uh, affected. Anxiety disorders affect 31.9% of adolescents. Between 13 and 18 years old, research shows that untreated teenagers with anxiety disorders are at a higher risk to perform poorly in school, miss out on important social experiences, and engage in substance abuse. All of that to say this, we have a lot of anxiety going on. Now, listen, I'm not saying this morning that as a Christ follower that you can eliminate anxiety from your life. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that if you have anxiety, stress, panic disorders, those kind of things, fears in your life, I'm not saying you're not right with God. I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm I'm not saying you shouldn't go see a doctor. But here's what I'm saying, that as Christians, we may not can eliminate anxiety in our lives, but we ought to be better equipped to handle anxiety than a person who's far from God. As a matter of fact, if the Spirit of God living within us doesn't give us the tools to handle anxiety. What do we have the world doesn't have? But as Christians, our worry and anxiety meter is off the charts as well. And the closer we get to the end, I think it's going to be more and more and more and more. How do we curtail our anxiety in a hostile culture? Because we, uh, 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 let me just say this, we aren't paranoid. The culture doesn't like us. You say, preacher, I don't want to be paranoid. No, you're not paranoid. The devil hates you. The devil hates us. The devil hates Christianity. But yet there are, there are plenty of verses in the Bible. Here's how I know we can eliminate it. Because God addressed it so many times in the scriptures. He knew we would be anxious. He knew we would worry. And that's why he dealt with it over and over. Let me give you just a few of the verses that deal with it before we get into our text. For example, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace. I mean, peace is the opposite of anxiety. And that Paul was telling us that the fruit of the Spirit, that is the Spirit of God living in me, the Spirit of God controlling me, that there ought to be a measure of peace to the child of God when I am right with God and filled with the Spirit, that the byproduct of living for Jesus should be peace. What about 2 Timothy chapter 1? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? But of power, love, and sound judgment. 
It is not God who gives us this fear in our lives, this fear that leads to anxiety, this fear that leads to depression, this fear that leads to worry. How about this? Philippians chapter 4, you know this verse well. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Look what he said. Don't worry about anything. Pray about it and be thankful. Now, I'm going to talk about this later on, by the way. And it will guard your hearts and the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding. These are promises for the child of God. How about this? Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We know that all anxiety is future cast, future related. How do we deal with our anxiety? Well, Peter weighs in in 1 Peter chapter 5, and he tells a church that is under persecution. He tells a church going through a difficult time. Here is how you deal with your anxiety. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? 1 Peter chapter 5, look beginning in verse number 5. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles wherever you are. 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse number 5. In the same way, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so he may exalt you at proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Thank you. You may be seated. Anxiety is real in the end times. How do we deal with it? How much personal anxiety are you dealing with today? How much personal anxiety that do you have in your own heart? You wake up worried, you stay worried throughout the day, you go to bed worried, you're filled with anxiety and anxiousness all day long, panic, fear all day long. Is that the way the child of God was meant to live? No, it was not. The child of God was meant to go around in peace. The child of God was meant to go around in joy. The child of God was meant to go around in faith. So how do we do that? Let me give you three three things out of these uh, three verses I want to look at. Number one, here are three words instruction be humble enough to listen be humble enough to listen look at verse number five in the same way you who are younger be subject to the elders all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble now this verse requires a little inspection Because at first glance, it looks like a old versus a young statement, a younger versus an elder statement. However, that is not the context of this verse. Now, let me tell you what I'm about to do. I'm about to go back and preach a little bit of last week's sermon. And by the way, thank you for all the kind. I don't know that I've ever preached a sermon and heard more about it than last week. I'm going to preach to myself more often. I think y'all are just glad to get a break. Amen. So I'm going to, but let me go back and revisit. The word elder here is used in its official capacity. Let me just, let me copy and paste directly from a commentary right here. The contrast is not between the older men and the younger men of the church for which uh, uh, it gives you the Greek words would be expected. Rather, it is between those who have the maturity and the commensurate standing that qualifies them to be presbytery 
in contrast to those who, for whatever reason, do not. Now, what is he saying right here with that? In other words, Peter is not telling the church to submit to older people. He is telling them to submit to the elders and the pastors in the church. Now, what, what, why is he doing that? Listen, the word is, the common word for young and older is not the words used here. It is the common word for leader in the church, pastor in the church. And the point he's trying to make is this. Follow me right here. You'll have less anxiety if you listen to what your pastor has to say. Now, what, what do you mean? I, I'm not your boss. I, I'm not going to control your life. I don't, even, I, don't, I don't have the bandwidth to do it if I wanted to. I don't have the bandwidth to do it. But here's what Peter's trying to say. That it takes humility to listen and apply the preached word of God to your life. And as we get to the end times and really for all of time, he's trying to tell us to be humble enough to listen to the Lord speaking through the preached word of God. Listen, there's a reason. Now I'm going to go back for a couple minutes and repeat last week's sermon. There's a reason God instituted the office of pastor, not so that you'll be a blind follower to a pastor, but so that you can learn how to apply the word of God to your life. Listen, in all probability, you aren't spending hours and hours and hours and hours every week like I'm doing, trying to dig out the truths of the word of God, trying to uncover the, the, the truths of the word of God. But that's my job. Now you should do it on your own. But my job is to get into this word, dig out the word of God and give you a regular, regular spiritual diet of the word of God. That is, listen, and so that, you know what, so that you can come, you can hear the preached word of God, and you can be, listen, here's, a, here, here's your reaction ought to be to a sermon. Whoo, Lord, thank you for letting me know that. I didn't know that. How great is it that the Lord puts a spiritual leader in your life to help you navigate, navigate a hostile culture? You should rejoice. You know why? It's one less thing you've got to figure out sometimes. Let me, let me give you an example. How many of you went to Disney World this summer? Let me see your hand. Anybody else go to Disney World? I've been twice, so I got no shame in my game. I've been twice. I, my, my wife and I went, just the two of us. And if you've never been to Disney World, just another adult, it's, the mo it's amazing. It's amazing. But the first time we went, we went, the whole family, all 10 of us, four grandkids, four under four. And when I go on that trip, most of the time in my life, most rooms I step in in my life, I'm the leader of the room. But when I go to Disney World, I don't have to make one decision while I'm there. Not one. I saw this meme the other day. Make sure the volume's on. What, what's, what's this? Explain something to you. I set the rules and you follow them blindly, okay? And if you have a problem with that, then you can talk to our complaint department. I don't, I don't know if you saw it, uh, but it, it is said, explain something uh, to you. explaining the week long the Disney itinerary to my family, right? That's how my wife and my daughters are when we go to Disney. My, my wife and my daughter, my, my daughter on this June trip, Michaela set the itinerary and I had no input on what we were doing at all at any point during the week long trip. As a matter of fact, there was one day I was just starving. 
There was one day I'm like, hey, it's 12 o'clock. Can we eat? And she's like, no, we've got to get over here to Dumbo or Jumbo or something over here and ride a ride. We got a ticket for it. It's one o'clock. And I'm like, baby, I need to eat. And she's like, daddy, eating is not on the agenda anytime soon. You know, I was this close to start pinching babies and making them cry and just upsetting the whole day. I need to eat. Here's what I love about that. When I'm on a Disney World trip with my family, I ain't got to plan nothing. I ain't got to worry about anything except feeding myself. And I did uh, wander off by myself and find some sustenance while I was there. Maybe I went to the restroom, you know, and, and found me something to eat. I'm not having to make any decisions. Why? Because Disney's complex to me. I don't understand how it works. You got this fast pass thing over here and this thing over here and this virtual queue over here. And I don't even know what's going on. And you know what I'm not trying to do? I'm not trying to figure it out. You know why I'm not trying to figure it out? Somebody else figuring it out for me. And Michaela just says, hey, here's where I want you to go. And listen, that's what I do as a pastor a little bit for you. I'm not telling you don't read your Bible. I'm not telling you don't pray. I'm telling you you should do all of that for yourself. But God has given you a pastor as a field guide, as a tour guide through a hostile culture. When it, what is required to make it work is humility. Because too many people spend too much time criticizing instead of implementing ignoring instead of implementing, arguing instead of implementing, justifying instead of implementing. And look, we looked at this verse last week, but let me give it to you again. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7, obey your leaders. We're specifically talking about church leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as though who, those who will give an account so they can do it with this with joy, not with grief, for that'd be unprofitable for you. Listen, my job as a pastor is to keep watch over your souls. And God gives grace to those who are trying to implement the Word of God in their lives. When you leave a church service, you ought to ask yourself, what do I need to do? How do I need to act? What do I need to change? What do I need to stop? What would James say? James in the book of James said, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Now listen, how does this help with my anxiety? Here it is. When you are right with God, you'll have less trouble and anxiety in your life. You know, the world brings enough trouble. You know what brings more anxiety is when we do dumb stuff. So now, not only do I have the fear of the world trying to be instilled in me, I got my own stupidity making things harder. And the preached word of God is to help you temper your own stupidity so you're not dealing with self-created anxiety, self-created worry, and you're only got to deal with the, uh, the anxiety that the world is throwing at you, that the culture is throwing at you, that the enemy is throwing at you. So when you adhere to the preached word of God, it's less anxiety in your life. But here's what it takes. It takes humility. Humility. That's why Peter said, you, you, you got to be humble enough to listen. You got to be humble enough to hear the preached word of God and say, hey, I need to make changes in my life. Hey, I need to make changes in my walk with God. I need to make changes in my attitude. All that requires humility.
Number two, you want to deal with anxiety, you got to be humble enough to listen. But number two, you got to be smart enough to trust. He says in verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that you may, he may exalt you at the, at the proper time. We're back to this idea of humility again and humble yourselves before God means this, that we are willing to accept our lot in life, hear me, and trust him that it's the best for us. That doesn't mean you shouldn't work to improve yourself or your situation. That doesn't mean you can't pray to God to change your circumstances that you're in. Luke 18, 1 tells us we ought to do that. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't seek help. It doesn't mean that you should not try to crawl out of the situation that you're in. But it does mean that whatever is going on, that you're going to be smart enough and humble enough to trust an all-powerful God that he is orchestrating the very best plan for your life. Trust. Now, I'm going to say a sentence. I want you to write it down in your Bible or in your notes. The opposite of humility is not pride. The opposite of humility is complaining. When we aren't smart enough to trust God with our life, we start complaining about what's going on in our lives. William Law said this, He's for his thankfulness is an express acknowledgement of the goodness of God towards you. So repinings and complaints are as plain accusation of God's want and goodness towards you. When we're not humble, it's not pride. We start complaining. There's reasons Peter uses the phrase the mighty hand of God. He is reminding you of the great God we serve, that if you want to deal with your anxiety, be smart enough to trust God and not complain. Get this. Did you know this, that complaining fuels your anxiety? I'm going to prove it to you. Hey, give, give me 90 seconds here to walk you through some of this. I want you to see it. The number one way complaining affects your mental health is that it increases anxiety and depression. At first, it can feel like you're re- re- relieving anxiety and depression by complaining, but the opposite is happening. Every time you complain, you're reliving the situation, all the emotions that come with it, which are rarely positive. So complaining reinforces your anxiety. Look at this. According to the article in Huffington Post, repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. Over time, you find it's easier to be negative than to be positive, regardless of what's happening around you. Do you hear that? Regardless of what's happening around you. So, so what happens is you, become a, you go from complaining, hey, listen, until you become a complainer. Complaining becomes your default behavior, which changes how people perceive you. Look at this. Another article states that research from Stanford University has shown that complaining shrinks the hippocampus, an area of the brain that's critical to problem solving and intelligent thought. And look, I'll be honest, some of ours is small anyway. We don't need any help. Damage to the hippocampus is scary, especially when you consider that it's one of the primary brain areas destroyed by Alzheimer's. So, so look, 
complaining destroys your brain. The complainer teaches his or her brain to fire the same cognitive pattern every time they complain. And this negative set of emotions and recollections eventually triggers depression and anxiety. Eventually triggers depression and anxiety. Hear that? Eventually triggers depression and anxiety. So complaining against God messes up your relationship with him and it fuels your anxiety. So what do you do instead? Jot this word down. Gratitude. Thanksgiving. Thankfulness. It's what Paul said in Ephesians 4, 6, and and 7. Right? But with, there's a reason Paul put thankfulness in the verse talking about anxiety. Here's what the American psychology tells, look, this just reinforces the Bible. According to an article in Psychology Today, research shows gratitude is a strong way, get this, to reduce anxiety. Such effects are in addition to gratitude's ability to strengthen relationships, improve mental health, and minimize stress. Gratitude reduces anxiety. Another study conducted by Virginia Commonwealth University showed that thankfulness predicted a significantly lower risk of depression. A lower risk of generalized anxiety disorders, phobia, nicotine dependence, alcohol dependence, and drug abuse. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude can de- y'all try it, it's not easy. Gratitude can decrease depression, anxiety, difficulties with chronic pain, and risk of disease. Listen, that's just reinforcing what the Bible tells us over and over, that we've got to be smart enough if you want to get rid of anxiety in your life, that you've got to be smart enough to trust God. What do I do instead of complain? I thank him instead of a complain. You have an almighty God in your corner. When was the last time you thanked him for anything? When's the last time you made a list? Made a list, wrote it down of things to thank God for. When was the last time, listen, in the end times, a hostile culture is going to be harder and harder to deal with. The blessings that we would call blessings today are going to be fewer and fewer. If you don't learn to thank God now, you're never going to be able to do it then. Listen, I I begin my day with Thanksgiving. The last thing I do in my quiet time every day is I have a list of things I thank God for every day. Out beside it, I have a place where I write down Things I'm, things I'm thankful for, I'm grateful for in the last 24 hours in my life. You can begin your day with Thanksgiving. You can end your day with Thanksgiving. It would be wise throughout your day to stop and just thank God for what's going on in your life. I mean, how often are we, church? Just give me, give me, give me, give me. Ask, 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 ask. Complain, complain, complain. And yet you never stop. Never stop to tell God thank you. Experts tell us that if, you're, if your emotions are going to be in check, at the minimum, you need a five to one thankfulness, gratitude to complaining ratio. Some say as high as 20 to one, 20 to one. 20 points of gratitude for one point of complaint. Would, would you do this to me this morning? Would you just think for a moment, would you measure your thankfulness versus complaining ratio in your own life? I'm afraid even the child of God complain. We're not smart enough to trust. You say, well, preacher, I don't like the situation I'm in. I get it. Man, I've been there many, 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 many a time in my life. Many. 
And there've been times in my life where God had me in a situation, I didn't like it. There've been times in my life, God had me in a situation, I wanted out of it. Many a time in my life where I've been praying for my situation to change, working for my situation to change, but listen, whether God changes it or not, my job is to trust him. And listen, when I complain about my lot in life, when I complain about my situation in life, it's always an affront to an almighty God. And it's going to fuel anxiety. That complaining is going to fuel anxiety. It's going to make worry even more. So number two, you want to deal with your anxiety, be smart enough to trust. Number three, be close enough to lean. He said in this in verse 7, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Now the word casting there in the Greek is derived from a term which means to deposit and it's in the aorist tense. And that doesn't mean anything to you, but it signifies a once for all act by which one rids himself forevermore of all anxious care by depositing it, I love this, depositing it with the Lord. Cast means to throw something upon someone or something else. The word suggests a deliberate decision of trust. I'm going to throw it off of me and I'm going to throw it on to you and I trust you to carry whatever it is I'm throwing on you. We are to trust God with our anxiety, the things we worry about. The word anxiety, just in the regular dictionary, means to be drawn in different directions, to be divided or distracted. Whatever we're anxious about, tends to distract us from trusting God. It tends to pull us in different directions, hear this, so that we're not depending on him. Why is worry so bad? Why is anxiety so bad? Because here's what anxiety does. Here's what worry does. It pulls me away from Christ. It's, it, it's the very definition of the word says it. It is, it is distracting me from my walk with God. It is distracting me from leaning on Jesus. And Peter says this. By the way, you can't be filled with anxiety and filled with trust in God at the same time. It's not possible. And so Peter says this. God cares for you. I don't always look up verb tenses, but that verb is in the present acted indicative with the dative. What does that mean? It means that God's care and concern for believers is constant, ongoing, and unending. God's care for you is constant, ongoing, and unending. God is not indifferent to the suffering of his followers, but desires active, humble trust in him, especially during difficult days. Now get this, the conception of God's concern for human affliction is one of the peculiar treasures of the Judeo-Christian faith. Though Greek philosophy at its highest could formulate a doctrine of God's perfect goodness, it could not even imagine a God's active concern for mankind. I mean, here's what Peter said in that culture. He said, you have a God who loves you and cares about everything in your life. You have a God who wants to carry your burden for you. You have a God who desires to remove any anxiety you have. But get this, you have to be close enough to him to give your burdens to him. Just give me a couple of verses. Matthew 6, so don't worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what will we wear. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father, 
He knows. He knows. He knows you need that. I'm not telling you to pray. You should pray, but he knows right where you are. Psalm 55, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you and he'll never allow the righteous to be shaken. You just have to be close enough to Jesus to hand him your worry and your anxiety. Close your Bibles, I'm finished. The English language is very confusing. Like I, I've not learned another language. I've had people tell me learning English is far harder than their language. For, for example, we have the word lead, like, like the metal, and the word lead, and they're both spelled the same. We have the word close and close, both spelled the same. They're called homographic words. We have the words bow and bow. They're, and that list goes on and on and on. It's very difficult for people to learn our language. We kind of zone in like English is the best, most rich language it, there is. And it's, it's almost not. It's more practical than it is uh, beautiful sometimes. The Greek is such a beautiful language, uh, even, even though it's non-existent. It's such a beautiful, beautiful language. But I ran across this word the other day. It's Mexican Spanish. And the word is apapachar. And now, don't listen to how I pronounce it. I, I watched a video on how to say it, and that is the Northwest Georgia redneck Appalachian version of this Mexican Spanish word, apapachar, right? But it comes from a region in Mexico, and it literally means hug with the soul. It's used like sort of a mix of to cuddle. The word in Spain would mean to cuddle, but they've adapted it to support and to console, to throw all of your love to someone when they need it the most. I couldn't get over that phrase, hug with the soul. You know, that's what Jesus will do for you if you walk close enough to him and you're handing him your burdens, your worry, and your anxiety. He'll hug your soul. And he'll take your anxiety and he'll take your cares and he'll take your worries and he'll take them on himself if you'll just give them to him. We sing an old song. I'm not, I'm not going to sing it today. Y- y'all remember singing in song, leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus? What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. Listen, I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning on Jesus, leaning on Jesus. The writer had to be reading Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 when he wrote that song. You just have to be close enough to Jesus, my Lord, so near that you can cast your dread, your fear, your worry on him. I think it's Isaiah 26, 3, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Be humble enough to listen when God sends a preacher along to preach. Be be smart enough to trust and not complain in your circumstances, but you've got to be close enough to lean on Jesus so you can hand him your care and your worries. Would you stand with me across the room, heads bowed, eyes closed? 
Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that incredible message. And uh, hey, the truth is crazy culture can make us anxious, Um, especially when you think about the culture your kids, the world your kids are going to grow up in, the world your grandkids are going to grow up in, and man, it can be stressful. And that's exactly what Peter was telling the church at Rome. Hey, um, things are crazy. We're experiencing difficult times and difficult days, but our trust and our hope has to be in God. And when we do that, God will begin to remove the anxiety from our hearts and lives. The truth is, for those who've never put their faith and trust in Jesus, the peace that God gives isn't a reality that you can experience. And so your first step is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And maybe God has spoken to your heart this morning about that. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. There's nothing you can do to fix your sin problem. You've got to be willing to admit that. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. We call that the gospel message. You've got to believe that with all your heart. And then Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 says, We believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth and we will be saved. And if God has spoken to your heart today and you need to give your heart and life to Christ, in the quietness of this moment, right where you are, tell God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day to pay the price that I couldn't pay for my sin. And Lord, I ask you right now through the power of your Holy Spirit to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the very first time and you meant it, we want to say welcome to the family. We want to celebrate with you and we want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. And so we've just dropped a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. Click on that. Give us your info. I'm going to connect with you this week. It has been great uh, to worship together uh, in God's house via online this morning, and I look forward to our times each week. God bless you. Have a great week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.